Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Well, we are continuing our series on discipleship, and uh, it's something that we have, can, have come to appreciate as a leadership, that discipleship is really foundational in following Jesus, becoming Christ-like, becoming what God has for us. And, uh, but part of our journey of becoming Christ-like is change, and not all of us like change, uh, particularly when we're young. I'm going to introduce to us this morning my little friend. Uh, my little friend is... This, this is uh, a picture of something called Winnie the Whale. Now, Winnie the Whale, um, this is the closest picture I could get to. It's not actually the Winnie the Whale that I had growing up. But Winnie the Whale was a correction tool that my parents used, uh, particularly on me. Uh, my brother didn't experience much correction, uh, but it seemed it was very helpful for me. Um, <laughs> And much needed, thanks, Clive, and um, probably still needed to some extent. Uh, but Winnie the Whale played a big part of my upbringing, probably too much of a part, um, but uh, I, I didn't appreciate it at the time. Now, uh, kids, do you guys appreciate your parents' discipline? Do you like, oh, you know, hey, that's, that's really good, you know, I, um, I'm so grateful that my parents uh, disciplined me. Um, look, we don't appreciate it when you're young. It's, it's just a, a universal. When uh, a two-year-old is about to plug a fork in the power socket, um, you know, you can have all the tears in the world, but it's like, you know, they're not going to understand the, uh, the delicacies of electric current and how this is probably a bad decision. Um, they might be hurt. They might be upset. They might be frustrated. When, the kid, when a four-year-old goes to running across the road, you know, there's, there's a harsh reality that sometimes discipline is there for our ultimate good. Uh, but it's an agent of change, and, and discipline is something that we can see as a real negative experience. Some of us have had uh, parental experiences of discipline in an in a, in a over-the-top capacity, and we've sort of been hurt by that. We've been, there's opportunity, cases of people have been abused too much, in, and it hasn't been done well, hasn't been done out of context of love. So how we have been disciplined determines largely how we receive discipline from God or receive shaping of our lives. And so we need to understand and appreciate that we, we don't really fully understand and appreciate what discipline really is. Now, I was brought up as a Dobson kid, James Dobson. He's uh, very much my parents' uh, go-to for all the things. And, and I am very grateful for the discipline I received through my parents by Dobson. And um, it was really good. You know, one of the things he said was, never discipline someone if they make a mistake, only discipline to correct attitudes. And I love that, and it's like it's helped me in my parenting. I'm like, okay, kids will be kids, they'll make mistakes, not disciplining that, but I will discipline on and correct and bring about a change in attitude. And, and that's, that's a big part of, of the correction that God has for us, is it challenging our attitudes. He's not a bad person, who's, he's not an evil dictator who's just trying to look for fault. He wants to, to correct the attitudes in our hearts. Now, it's said that one of the primary goals or primary functions of parents is to make our kids socially desirable. 
So as a parent, your primary or one of your primary roles is to make your kids socially desirable. And I'll unpack that statement. If your kids are socially desirable, this is what's going to happen. They're going to get selected onto team sports. They're going to find friendships in the playground. If your kids are socially desirable, they are going to get employment. If your your kids are socially desirable, they are likely to find a long-term partner, husband, wife, to have kids, to have families, to have that. If your kids are socially desirable, there is a story of success for them in the future. And and so in a sense, our role as parents is to to confront some of the things in our our kids' lives that are not going to make them tasteful to other people. And so if my kids, you know, uh, you know, as a kid, I remember um, telling porkies, you know, telling a lie, and, and mum and dad just came down so hard, hard on that, and I am so grateful they did. Because looking forward, I, I, I'd like to think I'm socially desirable now. You might dispute that. <laughs> but there's a, there's a sense that the, the correction that mum and dad gave enabled me to have good character, or good-ish character, you know, no one's good except for God, I get that, but um, to, to really develop a character that enables me to have a story of success in life. And so that's important for us to realise that our kids need nurturing. They don't come out as little angels, they don't, they're not born into the world with a halo on their head, doesn't operate like that. And uh, it's important that we understand that change is important and change is needed. A a two-year-old having a tantrum on the shopping centre floor might seem cute at the time, but if left unchecked, will leave that child facing a legacy of isolation and loneliness and distance. And so the best thing for that kid is is not that the tantrum is left to, to play out. The best thing is, okay, how do, we, how do we deal with this? And I know it's really hard these days to try and balance how do you discipline in a public space carefully, delicately. Um, I was going to bring Winnie the Whale in too, but <laughs> mum and dad didn't want any incriminating evidence brought in. <laughs> now, I love my parents. Um, they're like, no, you're not bringing it in. So. Um, but it's important that we understand that to become Christ-like is in a very real way that we are changed. Now, we can want discipleship for other people. It's very easy. I, I look at, you know, some people in, in, in my life, and I'm like, I really want God to change you. You know, and we can want that on them. We can like, oh, I'm just praying that you would be different. Um, <laughs> dangerous if you're doing that towards your partner. Don't do that. Uh, but change, we can want change for other people, but ultimately, God desires that we are receptive and walk in humility to receive change ourselves that we become discipled before we try and disciple the world, that we follow Jesus first and foremost before we try to push other people to him. And that's, and that's significant that we understand uh, that we become socially desirable. Socially desirable is Christ-like. Jesus is like, hey, go love your enemies, go love people and embrace them and be agents of change in a positive way in their lives. This is the ultimate expression of being a socially desirable person is to follow Jesus and to allow him to change and transform us. John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. See, as we change and our agents of change in our own lives, we impact and have effect on the world around us. 
Now, we're going to dig into Hebrews. Hebrews is a fantastic book, and it, it talks about a whole lot of, of discipline and a lot of really hard issues. Hebrews is often referred to as the, the book that pastors miss because it is a hard-hitting book. It's got confronting topics in it, and, and it's, it takes a lot to expound and to, to preach through. But it's a fantastic book. It's an absolutely brilliant book. And uh, Hebrews 11, if you've got time this week, read Hebrews 11. It lists a whole lot of heroes, of people who have had, had a su- success in life, have Im- impacted the world in, in, in incredible ways. They've been the heroes of faith. And the author of Hebrews, we don't know who the author particularly was, uh, but the author of Hebrews is, is advocating that, that people who have had change and transformation can transform the world in an incredible way by faith. You know, we, we see this. We, by faith, we see Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. These guys, by faith, uh, have, have been transformed by God and then continue to empower and transform the world around them in an incredible and powerful way. So the author of Hebrews is lifting these guys up saying, hey, these are agents of change. Uh, this is something to look forward to. And it's really important that we understand the context as we get into uh, verse 12, because the Hebrews 11 aspires us to leave a Christ-shaped mark by how we live. And a big part of how we live is in discipline. And so we're going to kick off. If you've got your Bibles and you'd like to turn to Hebrews 12, verse 1, we're going to read that together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throwing off, that's discipline. That's, that's internal discipline. So there's two forms of discipline. There's discipline that's upon us, so we have people that discipline us, but then we take hold of discipline ourselves. And so this is the Hebrews 12 is saying, hey, I'm living our discipline life. I'm going to throw off the things that so easily entangles us. And we we don't have to be, you know, we could have a great long list of what that might look like today. What are the things that entangle your journey? Uh, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's discipline, fixing our eyes. What we watch influences what we become. What we worship determines who we become. And so we, we discipline ourselves of, you know, what this content that, that's on Netflix, not particularly going to encourage the person I want to become. Uh, the, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't, guys, don't get upset. Like, discipline can come across when you're young as a, a, big, a big negative, but it's something that is something that we could, should or even celebrate. You know, and I, I'm probably a little way off from celebrating the discipline of people in my life. Um, but God's got a work to do in me. I'm not quite there yet, but it's something that when we see big picture of what God is calling us to be, it's something that is significant to take hold of. And so this, this context of Hebrews 11 is, is this marathon race. And we see discipline stitched into the lives of people who succeed. The heroes of faith had discipline to, to develop and grow. Uh, Hebrews 12, f- verse 5. Oh, so we, we do grow. I'll put this up here. We grow in dis- discipline until we develop it. 
And this is what I mean, is, is that discipline as a young person, as a kid, is often from your parents. And as you mature, hopefully, you take hold of discipline in your life. And I know that would be every parent's dream, that their kids would take hold of discipline. Um, on Tuesday, uh, my daughter Ariel is doing a m- month-long faith, um, the faith schools, sending all their grade nines for a month-long camp. And I'm like secretly hoping that discipline is a fantastic outcome in that space. They, they have to go away and live by them, you know, a whole lot of challenges for a month. And I'm like, this is awesome. Uh, why we do Project Next is to develop discipline in our kids. And so it, as a young person, discipline comes from external. And then hopefully as we mature, we don't need to get disciplined anymore. Is anyone still getting smacked by their parents if you're over 18? Well, I don't know. I don't know where that lies. Don't put your hand up. That's incriminating. Uh, but uh, this is something about it, that discipline changes as we mature and uh, we take hold of it ourselves. And, and what the author of Hebrews is saying is that there are going to be times that God is going to confront some of the things in your life in a profound way. Some of the, the actions and attitudes in our lives that is out of, a, out of God's will out of alignment with him. He's going to want to confront because he loves us. Um, But as we mature spiritually, we should take hold of disciplines in our life and take hold of what it is to be disciplined in areas of our lives. And and so that is something that is really profound for us to take hold of today. Uh, Verse 5 says this. It says, "And And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, the context here is that in Judeo-Roman culture, and Greco-Roman culture, and Judeo culture, it was the father's responsibility from age six or seven um, upwards, it was the father's sole responsibility, not sole, but main role, was to ensure their kids were disciplined, that they would become socially desirable, that they would fit into culture and society, that they would be contributing members in an impacting way. And uh, that is something that is, for all of us, understand that, you know, the Father doesn't want us to stay the same. I love the saying, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Jesus accepts us for who we are. We don't have to do anything for salvation other than receive it. But then when we've received it, God's like, hey, I want you to come on a journey of transformation and change. I, I want you to develop and grow. I want you to become socially desirable to the world, that they would see me through it, that you would be a light on a hill, that the change is significant. It's something that we, we walk into and we embrace, uh, that God would empower what we can become. So whether we develop discipline ourselves, which is also known as self-control, or need to be disciplined, Ultimately, it serves us well in unlocking the potential we have. See, discipline unlocks our potential. Now, if, if I was to tell you that one of your kids was, had the potential to win the Olympics gold medal in running, that was almost a certain conclusion if they trained, what would you do? You would kick them out the door at 5 a.m., and say, come back at 8 o'clock when you've done 50, K, 50 Ks running, you know, you would, you would be advocating, you would be pushing, you'd be encouraging them, you'd say, hey, yes, you can achieve, you can strive. And, and so there's this tension, there's this tension that, some, that, that grace is, is, is beautiful to rest in, but God is calling us to be disciplined lives, to take hold of what he has for us as well. So there's a tension that exists there. 
without discipline, medical professionals wouldn't exist. You know, I'm grateful that when my daughter had open heart surgery two years ago, the doctor, the surgeon, had spent a long time disciplined in studies to get good at that space. And so, as a society, we benefit from disciplined lives. As a community, we, live, we, we are blessed. As spiritually, we are blessed when discipline is something that we embrace and recognize the value in. It un- unlocks our potential. And a lack of discipline will limit our kids from achieving significance. And it's true in almost every aspect of life. If we don't have disciplined lives and we don't show self-control in areas of our lives, and our capacity to, to be obedient and follow Jesus is limited. At times, we need help being disciplined. And this is where it hurts. This is the challenge, is how do we respond when we're confronted? The author in Hebrews in verse 7 unpacks that thought. He says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So the lack of discipline in our lives is a mark of illegitimacy. The prophet Nathan, he confronted David in a really powerful way. In, in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, I'll read it. It says, uh, The Lord said to Dave, said, sent Nathan to David. Um, David was, he was doing some bad things, and uh, the prophet Nathan was sent to him. And he, said, he came to him and said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and and prepared it, cooked it, for the one who had come to him. Now David was a shepherd. He burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And uh, Nathan said this response. He said, you are that man. And so Nathan confronted David in a powerful way in, in, in corrupt, correcting the corruption of his character. And a challenge that I have for, for me and a challenge that we have in our society is the voice of prophecy, the voice of a prophet, of someone speaking into our lives often gets lost. If I was to say, if I was to, you know, hypothetically you had a significant corruption in your character, do you have someone in your life that is going to confront you on that in love? It's a big question. Like, do, do we have a mentor in our life that is willing to speak in and say, Sam, you know what? That, that character, that corruption of your character is going to undermine your calling. That needs addressing. The Spirit of God is wanting to work and change and develop you and grow you, but if you're not willing to confront that corruption of character, how is that going to work out? But So the voice of prophecy can be lost in our circles, and often we, we don't want prophets in our life. We don't necessarily want people to point out things. And, and if, you're, if your takeaway from this message is that you're now going to be the prophet, self-appointed prophet, and tell everyone their problems, you've got it wrong, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying is, is that we need to invite people in our lives to speak truth, 
but it's something that we receive. Like, I want people to, not everyone, please, not all at once, but I, I want people to say, hey, Sam, there's, there's this corruption in your character that would be good to deal with. And, and so, I'm, I'm, please, I'm not saying wholesale, let's, let's go to town on each other. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, in grace and love, have we got people in our lives that are willing to speak truth? Who is your prophet? Uh, James 5.16, confess your sins one to another. There's that attitude of correcting what God has placed in our hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts and prods us and disciplines us because God wants to unlock the potential in us. Verse 9, moreover, we all had that human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, hopefully. Uh, How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. God is so good. And the context of godly discipline is freedom, peace, and restoration. Uh, Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. And hardship hardship is not a sign of God's inattention. Hardship is not always a sign that God is, is trying to discipline us. Sometimes we, we try to equate the two. We're like, oh, things are going bad, therefore this must be God's discipline. No. Not, a, not, a, not necessarily the case. Might be. Might be something that's out of line. If, if, I am, if I don't show discipline in my finances and spend all the money at the, at, at the casino, guess who is impacted? My whole family. So it, the, the, the legacy of lack of self-control, the legacy of lack of discipline in our lives corrupts and, and affects a great deal number of people. And so this is, this is why is, is that God encourages us to receive discipline well. And it's a, it's a hard one because no one likes discipline. Um, all hardships present opportunities to develop self-control and discipline. So the season you're in, Whatever, whatever it is, we, you know, sometimes we're like, oh, is God behind us? Is, you know, allowing us to exist for whatever reason? Um, God never initiates harm. Okay, we need, to know, we need to say that God is a good God. But sometimes in his love, he allows us to, to experience tough love, to experience what it is. That to, sometimes we need to come to the end of ourselves before we discover how good he is. Um... All hardship presents opportunities to develop self-control. So in whatever season you're in, you can develop discipline. You can develop self-control. You can take hold of it yourself. You don't need it to be inflicted on you. You can take hold of it and say, hey, I am wanting to live a disciplined life because I want my family to be blessed. I'm going to intentionally show discipline in my finances because I want to be in financial freedom. God doesn't want us to be held hostage and often the areas of greatest struggle in our lives, there's often a, a, a big area of lack of self-control or self-discipline that's undermining it. Often our areas of, of struggle are, are struggling because we haven't taken hold of discipline. And it's so much easier to take hold of discipline ourselves than, than wait for society to discipline us. You know, a kid who isn't disciplined as a child is going to receive discipline by the police and the judicial systems, and so it's much easier to receive it and embrace it. Are you guys excited about discipline yet? Yay! Yay! Yay. We're, we're not, uh, that's not convincing. Like, it's, 
We're nearly there. Let me keep going. The sermon's going to keep going until you guys are convinced, okay? So you want a long sermon or you want a short sermon? Like, we can get there quicker. Uh, But our response to discipline is significant. Uh, We can fight it. Now, Winnie the Whale, like this wooden thing um, that may or may not have been used on me. Uh, Sorry, Mum, not trying to incriminate you. Um, But I remember it as I was probably about the age of nine or ten. I remember wrestling it off her in the midst of, um, of it being administered. And <laughs> I'm not proud of this moment, but I discovered that I was stronger than her. And um, I thought I was winning until Dad came home. <laughs> and then I really discovered what <laughs> discipline looks like. Um, we went next level. But it's, um, in our lives, we can wrestle God for, for the correction and change he's wanting in our lives. Like the Holy Spirit is wanting to develop and, and, and grow us to become Christ-like. That's, that's core to, to, to us not just staying the same. But we can fight it. And we can fight it. We can say, oh, no, you know, I'm not, not going to allow change. I'm not gonna. We can harden our hearts. Scripture talks about a lot about the condition of our hearts. We can harden our heart toward what God is wanting to do in our lives. Don't wrestle Winnie the Whale off God. You know, all people around you that he is sending to encourage you. Uh, because he cares so much about your potential and your future, he doesn't want you to wallow in, in, in our corruption of character. It's for our good. Uh, the second thing is, is that we can become, we can flee from it. Now, um, I, was, I asked Ariel if I could pick on her this morning. Um, when Ariel was five, she um, had this moment where, I, mean, I think it was about ice cream. She wanted ice cream, and at five... Um, it seems like a great idea. And, and M- M and I, we had said, you know, hey, no, we, we want you to sort of not have ice cream just before bed or whatever the situation was. It was a while ago. I can't remember the f- full details. But I do remember this. She turned around and said, well, if I can't have ice cream, I'm going to take myself to my room. <laughs> and M and I looked at each other like, okay. <laughs> um, and, and for two weeks, this continued, and it was fantastic. We had so much peace in the house. And it's like, uh, um, after, after a while, I, I was like, oh, you know, maybe that's sort of not, not the best strategy for getting what I want. Uh, Mum and Dad actually really appreciate me when I'm in my room. But um, there's a sense that um, when, we, when we respond to God, we can flee, we can run away from relationship with Him. When God's encouraging us to, to change and to be agents of change, to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, like Scripture is full of change, of encouraging us to take hold of change, to become Christ-like, to become what He's called. As we spend time with Him, He would develop and change us. But we respond to that. Or we can run away, or we could fight it. Or we can walk in humility and embrace it. And this is what I encourage us. And when you see the heart of God, that he is such a good heavenly father, when you see his heart, embracing correction and change from him is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, Psalms 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Confronting the character deficiencies in my life is how I develop into the godly character. Godly character doesn't just happen. You don't just accidentally become Christ-like. You don't accidentally become a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means following Jesus. Being following Jesus is something that takes discipline. Um, There are people that wanted to follow Jesus but lacked the discipline to follow Jesus. 
And discipline unlocks our potential. The verse continues. It says, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A harvest of right living. So as I wrap up, there's three things that I, that I see in Scripture in this space. Harvest of right living. Um, and, and this is the first one is health. The first one is health. Uh, when we are operating and we show d- discipline in our physical, like if I eat well, guess what I have? I have energy. I sleep well. Like There's a huge percentage of our problems in health come from our gut health. And what we feed on is what, largely what we become and how we operate. And spiritually, it's exactly the same. If we are nourishing our life in the Word of God, living water from Him, spending time with Him, we're going to have spiritual energy. We're going to have capacity to serve. We have capacity to be about His purposes and His plan. A spiritual feeding and nourishing our soul with God's Word is so important. And this takes discipline. It takes discipline because it's, you're not always going to have the desire for it, hey? Maybe you're a super Christian that you've, it just comes easy. Just sometimes pulling out the word and getting into the Bible is just always easy. But I've never met anyone like that. There are seasons that I just can't get enough. I'm just soaking in it. But there's times that discipline carries me. Discipline is like, you know what? Nourishing my spiritual soul is hard, but I'm going to continue because God's word changes and it's powerful and it brings life and I need that. And so discipline kicks in. And so, uh, you know, one of, one of the beautiful Pauline phrases we have is discipline without desire is drudgery. And that is true. But the flip side is this, it holds it in tension, is that sometimes discipline creates desire. When I start eating well, I want to exercise. I want to start living well. I say everything has a flow on effect. Showing a little bit of discipline in one area of your life can have incredible profound effects in all areas of your life. Discipline is, is something that is, our culture doesn't like the sound of. Self-control. It's not something our culture embraces. Just do whatever, be whoever, you know. But God is calling us to show discipline, to embrace discipline. And say, hey, you know, this is good for us. Ultimately, this is amazing for us. Discipline. Sometimes, uh, sometimes a lack of discipline will put us in the desert. And we can wallow around and feel spiritually isolated. We can feel lonely, disconnected in the desert because we're not, we don't have discipline feeding our soul. The second one is alignment. Uh, as we embrace discipline in our lives, um, our lives start to realign to God's purposes for us. And when we discipline our, our, ourselves in having prayer, seeing prayer is central in our lives, we start to see our lives shaped towards the way God has for us. Uh, it's, I would love to see as a church, as we embrace prayer, that our prayer meetings are full of people who, who want their lives to be realigned by God, for God. I know a lot of people who have generous hearts, who a lack of discipline in their finances means they can never be generous. See, having discipline allows us to, to be who God is calling us to be. People who, who have an abundance of a heart, they just want to be super generous, but how they spend their money means they can never be generous. So discipline is a beautiful thing for a community to embrace. We all win. Even discipline with your family, you know? Discipline the time, time together. I'm turning the TV off and we're going to sit down and we're going to open God's Word together. Discipline. It's worth it. 
And the last one is wandering off. Uh, discipline stops us from wandering from God. There's a saying I, I love and that I talk about in um, weddings a lot, that grass is always greener on the other side, but the, the greater reality is this, the grass is greener where you're watering it. If you're watering your relationship with God, it's going to be somewhere you want to stay. But if you're in a desert because you're neglecting your spiritual life, yeah, anything is going to look attractive. A little bushel over there that's dry and dead looks appealing if you've got nothing. But when you're nourishing and investing and, and discipline is, is building a harvest in your own backyard, you want to be there. You want to roll around in the paddocks of God's grace. And that's a place we want to go. Get into His Word. The areas of greatest struggle in our lives is the area that we often see a lack of discipline in some capacity. As I, as I close, I, I'll invite the team up now, but um, I just want to point out that there are areas, particularly in our life, that will make us squirm. And it's, there's a few things that I've got here that make me squirm. And what I mean is squirm is like I, I know the Holy Spirit is prodding me of saying, Sam, you know, these are some areas that I want you to acknowledge and respond to. So I'm going to read these out. I want you to just reflect and think, maybe, maybe this is for me. Do I show discipline in my prayer life? Do I show discipline in engaging the living Word of God? Do I show discipline in my time management? Do I show discipline in financial stewardship, how I spend what I have? Do I show discipline in a Sabbath, in my day off, in my rest? Do I show discipline in giving God my first fruits, the best of what I have? Do I show discipline in bringing up my kids in the ways of God? Do I show discipline in committing to church and to the body of Christ? Do I show discipline in serving one another? There's, there's plenty more areas of our lives, but I, I, I think God is calling us to take small steps of discipline change in our lives, to embrace discipline. How do you eat an elephant? You take it one bite at a time. We're not saying, hey, that tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're going to be super disciplined people. But my challenge to us is that in these areas that God is prompting us, would we res be response and would we be obedient and say, yes, God, I, I need discipline in my life because if it's from you, it's for you and it's going to be for my ultimate good because you are such a good heavenly father. A little bit of discipline can have eternal consequences in our families. A little bit of discipline in our lives can unlock our potential to be obedient to Christ. I am so grateful that my parents chose to discipline me to counter the corrupted character that I had and to bring me and to encourage me to walk in God's truth. I don't want to be disciplined into a more socially desirable Sam. I want to be disciplined into the life of Christ. Discipline is a wonderful gift to this end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this word of encouragement, Lord. Lord, I pray that whatever our experiences of discipline, that we would understand it from your heart, that it's from love, 
that it's calling us out to leave the sin that so easily entangles. Lord, that you would call out the corruption in our character that is preventing us from being effective in your kingdom. Lord, we want to be a people that is called by your name. Lord, we want to embrace righteous living because that's the best this life for us. That's what you have for us. Uh, Lord, we know that this is a hard word to hear. It's not necessarily something we want to hear, but it's something we need to hear. Lord, would we come as we are, but not stay as we are? Would you unlock our potential for tomorrow by the small steps we take today? Would discipline reign and rule? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear. Lord, would you encourage us to be a faithful and obedient in Jesus' name. Amen.